Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, my boy and producer, Marcus. What's up, Dev Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? Boys, I'm excited to announce it's been crazy long since we had the opportunity to pick this guy for his knowledge, the former Warriors beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, the current national NBA writer for USA Today, and a guy who we have absolutely positively never bumped for any other guest on earth, but we'll definitely say he has at some point during the course of this show. Mr. Mark Medina, what's going on, Mark? Bram, well, I am pleasantly surprised that I got through a Zoom call with you where I'm actually going to be on a podcast. I thought that (laughs) I might have gotten a Zoom invite to just get the heads up. Hey, look, we decided to go with another guest because that's what it felt like the last few times when we were supposedly going to have an episode. Do you not recognize an intro apology when it's right in front of you, man? I mean, I'm (laughs) over here burying my soul to you in the intro and you just kick me right where I'm down uh, to bring you boys into it and the audience as well. There's been a couple of times, I mean, you guys already know we had Mark set up and then stupid things pop up. We couldn't actually go forward with it. And then I got to hear from Mark that we bumped. It would never happen, Mark. would just absolutely never happen. Uh, But to prove to you how fired up I am to have you back on the show, we're going to bring back a segment we have not had forever. And it's actually one of my favorite segments, and it has a ton of trust towards the guest. It is called Off the Court Report. So the idea is, you know, we, all of us sport fans, watch these guys on the floor. Marcus, Maxime, and I, we have takes about what the Warriors should do between the lines. But your access, your role with USA Today allows you to see players off the floor more recently or most recently, you're in the bubble, man. So you got to see all the things that we don't necessarily have access to. So for this, I'm just going to shut up, throw you the mic, and ask you for a story, something you saw off the court. Well, there were a lot of stories that I saw in the bubble because I was there from July 12th to September 9th. It was a fun gig. It was an exhausting gig, but I wouldn't have traded for anything else. But, Bram, I think for your purposes, this being a Warriors podcast, I think the best off-the-court report that I can give you is a Warriors story. So the first week 
here's the background to set up. I'm in quarantine. So that means you can't leave the hotel room. You got to stay in the room. The only work you can do is through a Zoom call or over the phone. And incidentally, um, I had an interview scheduled with Draymond Green um, because he's doing a lot of stuff with TNT now. He's being an on-air analyst. And so it just so happened that his interview with me was going to be in the early afternoon, which coincides with when the health test officials come knocking on your door to get tested for COVID-19. And so I had forewarned uh, some of the publicity people that that was managing Draymond that there might be a moment, hey, I'm going to have to step away from my conversation with Draymond so I can get a mouth swab and a nose swab. Uh, But I didn't actually think it was going to happen. But lo and behold, I'm in the middle of talking with Draymond Green, catching up with him about anything and everything. And all of a sudden, it's a knock on the door. And I had learned the hard way that when they knock on the door, you have to answer. I felt that if I was in the middle of a Zoom call, that it would be rude for me to just leave that interview and answer the door. But I got some stern emails saying, if they knock, you got to answer. So what was funny was the timing of this. I'm in the middle of a Draymond Green interview. The depoy. You left him, Mark? Did you leave him on the phone? I did not leave him on the phone. What I did is I multitasked. I, I told Draymond, I said, hey, the health officials are knocking on the, on the door. I got to get tested. But just I value your time. I don't want to throw this away. So we'll just keep doing our thing. So literally, I am getting a mouth swab and a nose swab while he's ripping Charles Barkley about you know what he said about him over the air over the last few years and how he doesn't really care what the dynamic's going to be like on TNT with him because he doesn't really – consider him a friend in the first place. I just found that hilarious that I was getting tested for COVID while Draymond was absolutely on Charles Barkley. Um, You are a great great experience there. You are a hundred percent a professional Mark. That happens to me. I think I'm just getting, well, immediately I start sweating like a maniac. If I know there's a possible conflict, there's a possible conflict. My five-year-old daughter might get home during our podcast today, Mark, and it's, it's making me crazy nervous. Right now I'm distracted. So if I had Draymond on the line and I know the league office is coming and then it happens, my first reaction is terrible sweating, inappropriate sweating. And then I don't know, man, maybe I risk it. Maybe I don't let them in. But what would happen? Do you get kicked out if you don't get tested? Like, it was there no, no option there for you? You have to get tested every single day. And the thing was, when you were quarantined, the health officials, they were going to every hotel room. So the whole idea, if you don't answer the door, well, their schedule gets backed up and they don't want to wait because their time's precious. So maybe they'll have to come later in the day. Uh, but you know, that, that causes a huge inconvenience. So I was told to just always answer the door no matter what. And so what I did, Draymond was a total pro about it. He thought it was funny. I just said, Hey, look, I'm going to put you on speakerphone. I'm going to still ask you questions, so don't worry about me, but I got to get tested real quick. If I start so, screaming, don't worry about that. Just just ignore those those cries of pain. <laughs> the, the the good thing was the, this test it was it was not painful at all. It wasn't the deep nose swab where it feels like it's hitting your brain. It was the nose swab that's just at the tip of your nose. Yeah. So it tickles a little bit, but it's not painful. It literally lasted like 10 to 20 seconds, but it was amusing because I have Draymond on speakerphone. I'm, I'm holding my phone on one hand. I'm holding my tape recorder with another. He's just talking all kinds of, you know what, that Draymond does about Charles Barkley while I'm getting tested. So I'm trying not to laugh as I'm getting, you know, I'm appeasing the health officials. But 
literally it only took 10 seconds and then I was able to get back to the interview, get back to the room and, and do things as, as I was before. So it was, it was a funny uh, slice of my life moment that could only happen in the bubble. Well, it's a really topical story, but it's also a little bit embarrassing only because of this. Mark, I didn't see this coming, but we actually have Draymond on the other line. Do you mind if I bump you um, and then bring on this other guest? That's cool by you, man. Uh, you know what, Bram? I would not be offended if you bumped me for Draymond. So by <laughs> jokes, all means, just right jokes. I'll never bump you. I'll never bump you. But um, I will ask this, Marcus Maxim, this last week, Draymond has come up in Warriors Twitter. Um, and it's only because he was seemingly defending LeBron. And, and most recently, there were some tweets about the non-call with Jamal Murray. Um, did you guys see those? Has his support for LeBron bothered you at all? Is this a non-issue? Where are you guys at? Not an issue for me. Um, I did see it. Um, LeBron did foul Jamal Murray on that. But, you know, there were a couple plays that LeBron got fouled that he didn't get the call. So I think it kind of evened out. Um, but I did see the reaction to it. And Draymond has always been friends with LeBron in a way that goes beyond just, you know, like on the court NBA brotherhood. Like they've been a little bit closer. They they have business ties together with some of the production companies outside. And, you know, obviously clutch comes into play now. So um, I don't think there's too much to make of it. It's just Draymond being more than just a basketball player. Um, it just happens to be with public enemy number one for our Warriors fan base. Yeah. And look with Draymond, I, I think he was just calling it like it is. I don't think that he was saying this was right or wrong. He's just saying this is how the NBA works. Star players get certain calls, um, not only because of the respect that they command on the court, but officials are also more aware of their tendencies than, you know, some rising players. So knowing Draymond, is he politically savvy? Yes. Is he a smart business person? Yes. But Make no mistake, Draymond is never going to go corporate. He's not going to be a PR show. So this whole idea that he's speaking good things about LeBron because he's with clutch management now and he wants to perpetuate those ties, that's not how Draymond rolls. Like He is all about having no filter and speaking with what is on his mind. And that's what I took it as. Uh, he's just talking intelligently about the game of basketball and calling – a spade of spade with the reality of just how officiating works in the NBA, especially during the playoffs. And let's keep our eyes on the prize here. I mean, I, I love Draymond. I love his opinions off the floor, but bottom line, what Warrior fans are really admiring him for is his ability to play basketball, not you know, tweet or have takes about LeBron. If you don't agree with this, that's fine, but it shouldn't affect your view of him, at least as a member of the Golden State Warriors. And if you're surprised that Draymond is willing to say things that might upset other people, that's like being surprised at getting wet when you jump into a pool. That has always been his persona. So, yeah, I, I this thing hasn't bothered me at all. Maxime, well, are you fuming over there? Yeah, uh, yeah I, this, you know, this is like one of my very few panic button Scotty issues. I think from, from the beginning of the beef with KD, um, I've been nervous that this could be one of the – um, the cracks in the Warriors' armor of maintaining Draymond being happy with being on the Warriors. And, and, and Mark, just so you know, we have a um, a Slack channel with our Patreon crew, and, and this is definitely something that, uh, that they're worried about too. Noah brought this up. And sort of seeing, I think, to your point, Bram, Draymond is so typically 
um, going to speak his mind. And it's been uncomfortable to watch him not do that um, on this national platform when other people kind of come out uh, against the Warriors. And, you know, and there's speculation, is this actually because he's lost a little bit of faith in the Warriors organization over them picking Kevin Durant over him? You know, I, I think there, maybe I'm reading too much of the tea leaves here, but it also does kind of feel like there's more to this um, than some of the superficial stuff that we just talked about. The Warriors should not worry about Draymond wanting to leave. But here, here's the reality about Kevin Durant. If if the Warriors were about, hey, we are going to do whatever it takes to take uh, to to keep Kevin, they would have traded Draymond right before he would have made his free agency move. And they didn't do that because they know that there's larger things in play. And I think at the same time, if Draymond didn't have faith in the organization. He wouldn't have signed that extension that summer. He could have decided to use last year as his free agency audition. And, and, uh, and he didn't want to do that. And I think that there's, you know, both parties benefit from this. No doubt. No man. doubt, because he can get the most money with the Warriors. There wouldn't be that awkwardness of, hey, final year of the contract, what are your motivations? But. Uh, I think it also spoke to the loyalty that both teams have. I, I don't sense that, you know, anyone should be worried about how Draymond feels with the Warriors. Like, yes, this wasn't the best season that he had, but part of that was it was just – it was what it was. Like, he's on a losing team. There's frustration. And the, and the Warriors' strategy with how they handled Draymond was that, look, they're not going to exhaust him to play meaningless games that go nowhere. So let's just punt for next season. I will start getting worried about Draymond if he's with a healthy Steph Curry and a healthy Clay Thompson, and then he's not playing at his best or he's, you know, sending signals he doesn't want to be there. I haven't gotten that at all. I, I think he's going to be a warrior for life. I Draymond is such a remarkably smart basketball mind. He absolutely sees what the rest of us see. He is the most valuable on this Warriors team than he would be on any other team. He makes the Warriors better. The Warriors make him better. He's like a custom piece for like a, a Porsche engine. You know, within that engine, it makes the engine the most uh, powerful piece of machinery it can possibly be. And without that piece, it could not achieve it. But if you took that piece out and put it in another engine, it wouldn't work the same way at all. It's not built around it. Draymond understands that his value is accentuated here in Golden State. I don't think there's any chance he's going anywhere. I think his career is here. And to answer your point, Maxim, you're right. The Slack channel was on fire, and I love the Patreon supporters, and I love those conversations. But I didn't necessarily agree with that point because there hasn't been any real nasterous, slanderous things thrown in the Warriors' direction. There's been things that fan podcasts and things like us, you know, we, we hop on to for entertainment purposes, like when Rich Paul says that uh, Steph can't play defense. But there hasn't been anything of real note that Draymond said on his hands for, you know, I, I don't think there's been an issue like that. Yeah, and I would, I would add, I think the definition, I think um, Mark is right when he says Draymond's a warrior for life. But I think the definition of for life is beyond the basketball court too, at least as a player. And Draymond sees that. Like he has a really good relationship with the front office too. The Warriors just brought back Barbosa and Livingston to have roles that um, you know are in the front office. 
And I think that's ultimately where somebody with the IQ of Draymond has when he's not doing his, you know, TNT show. Um, when he's, you know, hangs up the shoes for the last time, I think he will be looking to still be a part of the organization. And I think he has a role in the Warriors organization kind of in mind. And I could see him getting his shot uh, there with people like Bob Myers and Lakeup and having that loyalty expressed that way as well. His rookie season, um, their, their first training camp in Vegas, I remember quotes from then coach Mark Jackson saying, this guy is a coach in waiting. They've, they've recognized his IQ and how it could help an organization off the floor since the jump. Yeah, and I think with Draymond, what he's doing now as far as branching out and tapping into his business and doing the things with TNT, no doubt from when I talked with him during that uh, quarantined interview, he is setting himself up for his post-basketball career, and he is setting himself up to expand his portfolio, but it's within the context of the Warriors weren't participating in the bubble, uh, so let's use that time productively. I, I think, you know, if the Warriors were in a different situation where they were either in the bubble or they're a playoff contending team, it would be entirely different. Once next season starts – it's going to be all focused on that. And the other thing I'd add, I, I know that, you know, this isn't ideal for the Warriors that Draymond Green and Seth Curry aren't part of like the team's mini camp, so to speak, um, because, hey, they can use this time to help the young guys. This is a relaxed setting where they can learn about them and see their day to day. But the reality is, you know, Draymond just had a kid. Uh, you know, Steph has some other family obligations. So they felt like those were the bigger things. I think that this was this whole year, not even just 2020 because of the pandemic, but the warrior season itself, it was such an outlier and unique that I think very early on, once Steph Curry got hurt, you know, the parameters change and they, and they looked at it as, Hey, this is a mulligan. And so I wanted to interpret how Draymond looked on the court or when he was playing in games, when he wasn't, when he was engaged, when he wasn't as any sign of what's to come in the future, because it was such a unique one-off experience. I think, you know, it's, a, it's an open question for the Warriors of, you know, where do they stack up in the West next year, but they're going to be a playoff team. They're going to be in that mix. And now it's then going to be a matter of, okay, where would you rank them accordingly? I'm going to ask you a question about that. First, let me get this off my mind. Otherwise, I'm going to forget it. Maxime, make sure you use your superior research and sound editing. Find that interview that Mark did with Draymond and then come back to us with the sound of Mark crying in the background while they administered the test. Um, I just think it'd be just be great audio. Just be absolute great audio. Uh, Mark, over under... Well, well, if you don't mind me interrupting here, thankfully the there is no audio of it. I'm still a print guy, so just sure, the, sure there's. I do not. not want people hearing me cry. Don't you listen to him, Maxim? You find it. I I know Mark. He's a phenomenal liar. It's out there. I, I'm sure he <laughs> listens to it while he defaces murals. I know that for a fact. Mark, real question. I put the number at four, fourth seed in the West, over under for the Warriors next year. Where do you put them? Oh, oh. That might be ambitious, but I have to look at, okay, who do you take out? I mean, the Lakers and the Clippers are still going to be there. I think the Nuggets are for real. Um, 
you know what? Actually, I would put the Warriors at four. That would that would make sense um, because the Thunder they're going through rebuilding. The Jazz are good, but a healthy Steph Curry, Clay, and Draymond's better than Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, you know, Dallas they're they're going to be on the rise because of Luca. So I think it's really a, a, a coin flip between Dallas and Golden State. You throw Portland in there, obviously, because of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum um, and their front court. But, you know, as as much as I'm a mellow guy, like he went to Syracuse, I think that, uh, you know, he was able to show that if he's in the right environment, he'll, he can still have a career. But he is gaining up in age. So, yeah, I would, I would put the Warriors at fourth uh, just ahead of Dallas next year. I'll take it. Um, and I'll also use that as a transition. So, boys, the media's been talking about it. We have some actual Warrior news to discuss. They're calling it the Double, which is kind of an annoying name, if I'm being honest. I'm not sure I'm a fan of it. But the Warriors have a two-week uh, training camp, but their own bubble. I'm not sure what to classify it as. But for 14 days, the team is getting together. Um, they're having practices. They're staying in a hotel together. They're even having press conferences. In fact, I attended one today. So there's Warrior stuff out there. And Mark was on top of it. Um, he just wrote an article called What NBA Lottery Teams Are Hoping to Accomplish During Their Voluntary Two-Week Minicamps. Mark, what should the Warriors be hoping to accomplish? Well, it's not as much as they hoped they could because there's no Steph, there's no Draymond. Um, so they've moved the goalposts. Steve Kerr uh, had said basically – this isn't a training camp. This is just a chance for team bonding and anything else is a bonus. So yes, they're getting on court time. They're getting instructions, but there's not going to be a competition for positional battles or any sort of depth chart. Right. Uh, their instruction they're they're certainly going to go over drills and plays, but it's not going to be heavy. Uh, they are going to scrimmage every now and then, um, but they don't want to overly tax them not because, hey, they're tired, like they haven't played since March, but they just don't want to run the risk of injury. So that's the main thing. And then the other thing is this is a form of Clay Thompson's rehab. Um, you know, he's been able to get some on-court time this week. Uh, it was still up in the air whether he's going to be a part of any scrimmages. And I was on Steve's Steve Kerr's call yesterday, so that was on Monday, and he was essentially saying the same thing. No scrimmages, but it's going to be up to him and Rick Salabrini, who's with the training staff, to make sure that this doesn't compromise any health. But the hope is scrimmaging him for obvious reasons, but uh, beyond him wanting to get up and down the floor and shoot some shots was to see how much can he test out sure. uh, his body with just you know fighting through screens and cutting and all that. Um, so I think that this will do wonders for Clay, even though it's just a two-week thing. And here's the thing. When these mini camps end in two weeks, they everyone then has to take off for two weeks. And there is an unknown on when next season will start and how it will look like. But that being said, it's safe to say there is going to be some sort of ramp up, some sort of training camp. But teams just don't know when that will be or how it will look like. So once this mini camp's over – it's going to be almost how it was when COVID first hit and shut the season down where sure. everyone's going to be confined to, you know, first spending those two weeks just staying at home to either relax and do some like quarantine workouts. And then after that, it's just going to be these voluntary individual workouts at the facility where you can only be there for like an hour and it's by yourself with an assistant coach and you're just 
they're really just getting shots up and that's it. MT, uh, Medina mentioned a little bit earlier, Draymond's not there. Steph's not there. They both listed family reasons, a thousand percent justifiable, completely understand it. Are you upset? Would you like him to be there? I'm not upset. I mean, I'd like him to be there. Um, I think it's better for the camaraderie and it builds better on court chemistry, especially with some of the younger guys. And, you know, we're still light on games with the younger guys playing with Steph and, you know, obviously playing with Steph, Clay and Dre all together. Um, But, you know, at at the end of the day, I think it's, they're still, the culture is strong enough to withstand them not being there. And, when they do come, they're such big personalities uh, that they'll fit in just fine and kind of still command the presence they have in the locker room and with the team. Yeah, it's it's not ideal, but Draymond and Steph are taking off for right the right reasons. It's, right. it's family concerns and wanting to make sure that they're around their young kids. And even if it's two weeks, you know, I, I know from experience being down in the bubble for even more than that, almost two months, I mean, it, it, th- these things add up when you're not nearby your family. And I think for them in particular, the, the kids and being able to be attentive to them was the main thing. But as far as what it means that they're not there, I, I don't think from a basketball standpoint, it really means much to Steph and Draymond. I think, you know, in some respects, it's actually going to help them because they've, before all this, they've been at the finals for five straight years. And even though they're almost a year removed from it, just the idea of more decompressing helps. Right. But I think their teammates are going to struggle from this with not just the on-court chemistry and, you know, ironing out what it's like to play with them. But I think the biggest thing is the on-court bonding time. Right. You know, here with this mini camp where there's no games, there's no travel, there's no stresses of outcomes, this would be the perfect avenue for guys to really get to know them and know their background, get to see what makes them tick and also see their day-to-day routine. And I know when I covered the Lakers um, during Kobe Bryant's final season, one of the biggest things that the young guys benefited from was when he was specifically in Hawaii during training camp, because everyone was in the same place. There weren't games in Kobe's case, once the season started, he wasn't really practicing much because his body was all broken down. He wasn't going to shoot rounds. So this was the window to really get to know Kobe and, and learn the tricks of his trade in a relaxed setting. And that's what the Warriors are losing yep. with Steph and Draymond not being there in the yep. facility. Yeah, you'll learn a little bit with it with Clay and his rehab helps, but Steph and Draymond – I've always said this, even when they had Kevin Durant, you know, Kevin might be more talented uh, from a scoring standpoint overall than Draymond. But I always thought from all those four all-stars, the combination of of, of Draymond and Steph were the most important because of how well they complemented each other, their leadership styles, and how from a teammate to teammate standpoint, they're able to inspire them in different ways. That's a huge loss that the Warriors have without them there. The the bottom line, right, is if you win three titles, you win two MVPs, you win a Depoy, you win a handful of all-star appearances, do you have to show up to a two-week minicamp? No. No, you don't. And are fans allowed to give them for it? Again, no, of course not. 
But if I wanted to find something to be pissy about, you just articulated it beautifully, man. You know, it's not that the, that the Warriors have to figure out what Steph or Draymond's roles are on the court or in the locker room. We know what the hell those are. They're going to be the stars of both. It's what the rest of the team has to figure out their roles are around them. You know, if they're the sun in the solar system, then how do these planets revolve around them? And if, you know, as Mark pointed out, they're not going to spend any time with one another between now and the end of this, uh, whenever this pandemic ends, that's going to be an issue. But it is what it is. You know, we go right back to the beginning. Are they entitled to do it? Of course they do. Mark, my next question comes from a guy named Joey Cohen, Twitter handle at 27 Cohen 30 Joey 12, which by the way, Joey, I'm a big fan, but that's a lot of numbers and a long Twitter handle. He asks Mark, quote, Ask him, talking about you, if he still feels accepted by the Bay Area, even after his consistent Steph slander. And Mark, I read that as this. Why do you hate Steph Curry? I mean, it's personal, you know. <laughs> I have a against him, and that's why I wrote awful things about him. And when he came up to be eligible <laughs> to win the finals MVP in 2018, I was like, no, F that. Like, I am going to stick the screws in you and give it to Kevin Durant. Like, that's really what it is. You hear that, Joey? You, you finally uncovered the uh, the massive conspiracy that's been behind this the entire time. Uh, yeah, I, I hope you appreciated my facetiousness. Of there, But also on Twitter, I, I responded to him uh, saying, yeah, so much slander while dropping an article detailing from not just Steph, but everyone in the organization, how Steph, you know, really righted the ship last year with navigating, you know, them through the Draymond KD argument, incorporating DeMarcus Cousins, empowering all the role players. So clearly there's no, like, Steph slander. And frankly, I know that there were a lot of Warrior fans that were upset that he didn't get finals MVP. Um, But you can make the case for either, but I I gave the case – don't you and jump down this rabbit hole, Mark. Grand. We're going to punch each other in the face. You've affected his legacy. We're now, I'm, we're going to have on at some other point, we're going to have the, yeah. should he have been the finals MVP podcast, but we don't have to do it now. I, I love well, you right now. We don't have to defend, have the fight. I was going to defend my vote here. I mean, I gave Kevin the MVP because he had a, a, an amazing game three performance and a game winner. And his numbers, frankly, were just a little bit more efficient than Steph's were. So it wasn't this Steph didn't deserve the MVP. It was just, I thought both players played well, but Katie played a little bit better, and therefore he got the vote. Now, if Steph got the finals MVP and my vote was in the minority, like, kudos to him. I mean, the reality of it is this. Like, I don't have a necessarily a stake of, oh, I want this guy to win this award or want that guy to win the award, and that's kind of what reflected the vote. I was trying to be objective as I can be and looking – at the numbers and also watching the games live in person and, you know, considering everything. And it was a hard decision to make. I was going back and forth on it, but then it tilted the scale when Kevin had that amazing game three. And then I also looked at how much more efficient his numbers were. So it's all good. (laughs) And then how much you hate Steph also factored in. And that was the tipping point. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Joey Cohen on the phone. There he is right there. (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, Mark, you may remember we litigated this back in 2018. Um, Immediately after it happened, you were on the show. We'll explore it on another podcast, but for now I'd be insane if I didn't ask it. So we're right on the precipice of the finals, you know, and and I'm sure we're going to spend a full 
pod kind of breaking down the matchup, but you covered the Lakers for years. You're currently set up in LA. This finals features LeBron and the Lakers versus Miami. Who's your pick, man? Uh, who wins it? How many games? Yeah, I think you you can't go wrong with either. But if I had to choose, I, I think it's going to be the Lakers in six for a, a few different reasons here. You know, LeBron James, at 35 years old, hasn't really dropped off much. I mean, there were some signs of fatigue toward the end of the Denver series, but his numbers themselves have been pretty good. And those games where maybe he doesn't have it in him, he's relied on a pretty good fl- uh, formula of – let's get Anthony Davis going offensively. And I think that Anthony Davis has really raised his game partly because it's easy to play with LeBron. Um, And then I think you go down the line where the heat have an advantage is they have a little bit more depth than the Lakers, but the Lakers have done a good job at making adjustments throughout each series under Frank Vogel, where they there's always been, this by committee person that rises to the occasion. Sometimes it's been Rajon Rondo, sometimes it's been Dwight Howard, sometimes it's been Kyle Kuzma. And when I outline all these different moving parts, they've gone through a season of a lot of things that could have been potential landmines. You know, first they, they had a disrupted training camp when they were in China, just as there was this whole <laughs> fallout from the Chinese government over, you know, the Rockets GM Daryl Morey tweeting support for, for the Hong Kong protesters. And then look, Lakers are beneficiaries of having LeBron and AD. They're good players. But, you know, as we've seen in the past, sometimes when you have talent, sometimes egos collide. And they got on the same page immediately. There were seven new players to open training camp, a new coaching staff that, frankly, wasn't the Lakers' first choice. They first interviewed Tyron Lue and Monty Williams. And all those different things could have led to the Lakers just gaining the playoffs because they have LeBron and AD. But I think that they've – brought out the best versions of themselves of getting through all those things on the court. And then midway through the season, the Kobe Bryant tragedy happened. It affected the whole NBA world, but most notably the Lakers because of what, you know, he meant to the organization and the Lakers found a way to plow through all that. You know, I think they were one of the teams that were able to handle the set of circumstances well with the suspended season because everyone did their part and staying in shape and, and just being really in tuned and, I think, you know, so of the heat. Um, But I think that the Lakers have the edge because they've checked all those boxes, but because they also have a a healthy LeBron James and Anthony Davis to to help them overcome everything. But it it really could go either way. I mean, the heat have been so impressive so far. Maxime, Marcus, do it quick version because we'll jump in later on. Give me who you are rooting for, but then also who you think is going to win and how many games. It's hard for me to to root for either team. It's hard for me to root for uh, the Lakers, obviously because of LeBron, but it's also hard for me to root for the Heat because I feel like we're in direct competition with Wes. Um, so, but still, nonetheless, I'm rooting for the Heat. I just love that storyline, and it's hard for me to root for LeBron. But I think it's going to be Lakers, and I would even say Lakers in five. Oh wow! Wow. Um, yeah, rooting for Heat and seven. Um, I would put money on Lakers and six. 
Yeah, I'm rooting for the Heat in three if it could somehow happen. <laughs> with all due respect to my hatred for Wes, it doesn't hold a candle to my hatred for the Lakers. That, that thing has been dormant for what seems like a decade because that franchise has been dormant for about that long. But the second that they've, you know, they're back in the limelight and all of these previously sleeping Laker fans are back in my life, yes, dude, I hope that they get destroyed in three games. Now, do I think that happens? No, unfortunately, I don't. I think the Lakers are going to win this and six, but I will be rooting with everything I have. Mark, we've got a brand new segment, man. One I really enjoyed. We just test drove it last week, and I think that you are perfectly situated for it. So the name of it is GM Improv Theater. The idea is this. Warrior fans are obsessed with trade talks right now. We've got all these assets. We've got draft picks coming out of our butt. We, we have nothing but uh, delusions of grandeur and ways to somehow achieve them. But when we talk amongst ourselves, all of these trades are super one-sided. We are suggesting bullshit is what we're suggesting. So what we do here is we come up with trades, but we appoint somebody who is not only neutral, but knowledgeable to act as the GM for the other team to see if we can actually hammer some things out. So you are going to be playing the role of two separate GMs today, my man. And the first one is you're going to be playing Tommy Shepard, the GM of the Washington Wizards. What that means is Marcus, uh, Maxime, you boys are now Bobby Myers and Kirk Lacob, uh, respectively. You'll be representing the Warriors. Mark, I'm calling you first, and here is my deal for you. All right. So let's get practical realities out of the way. This iteration of the Wizards, Mark, is done. I shouldn't be. All right. Why am I calling you that, Tommy? Tommy, this iteration of the Wizards is done, man. It's done. The, the wall contract was a mistake. We all know that. It is what it is. He's just recently on some terrible Instagram uh, video. This backcourt is not going to work out. And as much as you love Bradley Beal, you also know, like I do, he only has one more year. He's got one more year on his contract. He finishes out next year, and then he is bolting. He's gonzo. So what do you need, man? Because you're not going to get a free agent. People don't want to go play to in, in Washington. What you need is a face, something to put asses in seats, something that you can sell, right? Now, I'll be the first to admit to you that Andrew Wiggins, he's not. He wasn't a number one overall. He's not. And th there was some mistakes that were made in Minnesota, but you and I both know he's a lot better than he's played so far. And most importantly, Mark, he is only in year two of a five-year contract. So should I give him to you, he's going to be a face of the franchise and will be there for at least the next four years. You have somebody who you can sell to your fans and someone you can build around. So here's my trade to you, man. I will give you Andrew Wiggins, whose contract matches almost directly with Bradley Beal, and my second rounder this year, and you trade me back Bradley Beal. What do you think? Can I just hang up now? <laughs> it's that good of a trade? <laughs> no, it's it's that terrible of a it's trade. It's a resounding yes. Anyone that decides to make Andrew Wiggins the face of their franchise is terrible for a multitude of reasons. One, from a marketing standpoint, are you really going to be able to sell tickets to a guy that you know barely speaks in any audible sound bites in interviews? No, but the bigger thing is what he does on the court. Uh, he's a decent defender, but you never know what he's gonna you're gonna get from him on a day out day out a day in day out basis from the scoring. And look, I'll be the first to admit we're just talking mano a mano. 
my franchise is a mess. And if he's in a mess of a franchise, he's going to check out pretty quickly. So this would be a terrible deal, but I will counter that. I will take that deal. If you throw, you know, let's say three first round picks. Jesus, Tommy, Tommy, let's not be ridiculous. You know who Wiggins is a better face of the franchise than G Wiz. You may not recognize that name. Nobody does. That's the mascot of the wizards. And will be the only (laughs) person on your franchise left when Beal leaves. I'm not just giving you Wiggins. I'm giving you something. Because when Beal leaves, what you're getting back is nada. I actually have fairly reliable knowledge that G Wiz is considering leaving when Beal. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'm not even sure if I can make this deal with yet. And I understand there's an uphill battle. Perhaps it we, doesn't. We do have confidence that Bradley Beal will want to resign. Oh, my God. Where? No, unless you are opening up some kind of alternate league, I do not believe that. But let me turn to the Warriors and see if I even have them on the hook for this ill-fated deal. Uh, Bob, Kirk, you guys uh, you guys there? Yeah, yep. we're here. So I, I'm sure you may have been eavesdropping on what was just going. Um, I, I, It's an uphill battle, boys. I don't think I'm going to be able to make this happen. But if I could somehow drag in Bradley Beal and what you're giving up is Andrew Wiggins. You interested? Yeah, I'm interested as long as it doesn't take those three first rounders that he just threw in at the end. <laughs> You're not supposed to be actually eavesdropping. Like, we got to have some sense. Stop breaking the fourth wall, man. I yeah, mean, can, you, can you add Kevon Looney in there while you're at it? <laughs> Tommy, I mean, get off the phone. What's going Okay, somebody needs to get a hold of the phone company because this is like some critical data leaks here that is not working for me. If uh, I get Bradley Beal back and all I give up is Wiggins and the second round pick, I'm doing it in a heartbeat. How about? Uh, Bob and because I don't know if I can do this but I they do want a first rounder I just didn't want to didn't want to include it right from the jump can I go back to them with either this year's number two pick or Minnesota's pick next year for Bradley Beal Wiggins and the number two pick this year mm-hmm. yes you can go back with that agreed Mark I didn't ask for one draft pick. I asked for three. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, you know, is it because I keep calling you Mark? Is that why you're so upset? <laughs> Tommy, I'm sorry, man. That's on me. But uh, unfortunately, it sounds like this isn't going anywhere. Take off your GM hat. Mark, would that, I mean, is there any reason either team would, would look at this even with a 10-foot pole? I mean, is there any possibility of a Beal to the Warriors move? I couldn't see it. Um you know, for, for basically the reasons I outlined is that no doubt Andrew Wiggins is an enticing player, but I think that he can't be a number one guy. He has to be part of a larger group of good players. And I think that's why in the Warriors case, it's almost win-win. Maybe he really fits into this culture well, and he doesn't have that pressure. Um, And that can build up his equity, but also say he disappears as he did at times in Minnesota, that the consequences yeah. aren't as severe as if, you know, you're a team that's making him the face of the franchise. Kirk slash Maxime, how much would you have chased this? If I came back and said, look, two picks not getting it done, but I do think they'd give up Beal. Would you have added a couple of other picks or done deal? No, I think that's about the limit. Um, anything beyond that starts to feel uncomfortable. Uh, that That's a lot of future assets for somebody that's, um, an excellent player, but it does, doesn't have the number of years left that one of those picks could convert into. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would also add, I mean, yes, it's positionless basketball these days, but there is some 
element of redundancy here where they don't really need a backcourt. They got Stephen Clay, and one of the reasons why they trade D'Angelo Russell to begin with was they sensed, you know, Bradley Beal's obviously a different player than D'Angelo, but the idea of the backcourt depth chart, there was this feeling that, you know, D'Angelo would get more in the way of things than anything else. And I think in Bradley's case, he could do the same thing, but for different reasons. Well, good news. The Warriors do need a swingman. And in fact, we have a swingman offer on the table. So, Tommy, take off your Wizards hat. Put on your Phoenix Suns hat because now we have a trade for Kelly Oubre. Uh, MT is the author of this one, so he'll take over the role of the agent. Uh, Maxime, maintain as Kirk. I will be Bob. And in this instance, Mark, you're going to be James Jones, the GM of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, MT, what do you got? James, good to talk to you, my man. Good to talk Hope to you. you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Hope you're in a dealing mood because I just got the ultimate deal for you right now. All right, what do you got? I mean, we went eight and zero during the uh, the bubble. Were you guys there, by the way? We weren't. We I weren't. didn't get a chance to see it. <laughs> okay, you don't have to be an asshole. If I'm going to be on here, <laughs> I mean, Jesus, James, I'm just, you don't have to be I'm an just, asshole. I'm just envisioning that there is some. <laughs> Come on, James, we're trying to make deals here. Front offices, right? Play a few years with LeBron in Cleveland, and all of a sudden it goes to your head. Um, okay, so I'm glad you brought up the draft, though. So you guys played really well in the bubble, 8-0. I mean, it was amazing. You guys, you know, came out of the gates. If there had been another game or two, you probably would have even taken over uh, Portland's role and uh, made it to the playoffs. So you guys yeah, did we really well. They, they gave us a, a stronger strength of schedule than everyone else. Exactly. You guys were amazing. And you did all of that without Kelly Oubre playing a single minute. So there might be something there that says you guys could be a better team without him. A little um, addition by subtraction there. So I uh, have a deal for you that takes Kelly out of your hands. I'm going to give you the number two pick in this year's draft. A lot of good players there. And you send me back Kelly Oubre and the number 10 pick. Oh, see, that's the thing. I, I know that you guys may be high on James Weissman or whoever, but we have a lottery pick already. You know, would, would you be able to attach, you know, maybe a late first round pick there as well? I would be willing to give you Kai Bowman. Ooh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, he's the agent. <laughs> He's the agent, okay? And they may not have been in the bubble, uh, James, but I am. As Bob Myers, I decided to just show up here. Don't you worry about what the agent, just say yes to your deal. And then I will come in and say yes to my son. I would have to confer with Bob and (laughs) Joe on that one. Okay, so see if you guys can attach another late first round pick. All right, Joe, Bobby, I got Phoenix, and I got him interested. I can bring you guys Kelly Oubre Jr. He's coming off a knee injury, but it looks like he's going to be healthy. We trade the number two pick in this year's draft. We get Kelly, and we get the number 10 pick. Yeah. Um, first shout-out, Anthony Slater, Athletic. He, uh, he suggested this very trade, and I've seen it argued out there. Um, back to me. Kirk, talk to me about this. So, you know, let's, let's assume for the purposes of the fourth wall. Uh, for right now, James, you cannot hear us. Kirk. I'm interested. I'm interested. This draft is burger. We know it. We're pretending like it's not, but there's nobody that high at the top of the draft for that fired up about. I, I like Obi Toppin. We might get him down at eight. Um, but the other side to this is 
there's nothing less sexy than trading down in a draft. There's a possibility of a real superstar, maybe in Wiseman, maybe in Ball, who knows. So I, I'm on the fence, man. Um, how are you viewing this? Man, yeah, I really hope that this phone company got this shit sorted out because as far as I'm concerned, 10 looks the same as two to me. Yep. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think that there's enough smoke screening going on around the league with all of the narratives that are happening um, around this draft. I don't think any, not that we really care about what the fan base thinks, but I don't think that anybody is going to blame us for wanting to trade down. This is the sexiest that a trade down could ever be. Um, and I think we're just as liable to hit on somebody at 10 as at two. Right. So I think I say love we this. Go. I love this agent. Do you, you don't mind if I call, uh, I call James really quickly on my own, do you? Go ahead, but Ex- he's, he's in a mood. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. It's James, dude. I know. James, you there? Um, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So good news, bad news, man. Uh, bad news, we love the two pick. We, I mean, we f-ing love it. Um, we, we've worked out Wiseman virtually. Um, I think Ball could be a real superstar and, and somebody who Steph could hand the mantle to. Um, but the good news for you is we consider giving it up. Uh, and, and I heard through the grapevine you were looking for an extra pick. That's bananas. I mean, you're moving up eight slots and you're giving up nothing. Apparently, you got better without Kelly. So how about this? We give you the two pick, you give us the 10, you give us Ubre, and we give you our second rounder next year. You know, I was looking at your guys' roster and cap situation. I know that you have this $17.2 million trade exception from the Andre Udala trade. I mean, this would be a perfect time to use that in this sort of deal. What do you think? I'm on board for that, absolutely. So you, so you would be using the trade exception and uh, a first-round pick and a second-round pick? Yep. And what's the first-round pick, the number two or the late first round? No, no, no I'm, giving, I'm giving you the number two this year, second-rounder next year. Um, we bring back, and I'm to, using, to absorb the salary, I'm using the TPE, and we're bringing back Ubre and the 10 pick. And we get your trade exception? Yes, Okay, so to confirm here, Bob, we're getting the trade exception. We're getting the number two pick and the second round pick. Yes, that's what you get. Where are we on this? Uh, you know you want to say yes to this deal. It's a good deal. Hey, Bob, we're, we're going through the parameters here. We want to make sure we got it and crossing our T's. Yes, I will, we will trade Kelly Oubre Jr. on the condition that we get the $17.2 million trade exception, the number two pick, and a future second round pick. I think I do that deal. Kirk, you on board? Yeah, but I just, because we're really dotting our I's and crossing our T's here, I didn't hear you say that we also get the 10. It's a pick swap. So I just <laughs> yeah. want to make sure that's perfectly okay. clear. And it's also fair to say we all remember that we're on a podcast, right? We, I mean, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> if you want the number 10 pick, we, I need a late first round pick. Okay, here, I'm actually going to read the contract that I'm going to ask you to sign now so that all of the I's are crossed. I, I think we've gotten to the end of this deal, and I like the way um, it was envisioned. Marcus, no longer the agent, just a Warriors fan. You hear this deal reported. You happy? No, I think I you're throwing I in the, the, the deal yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want the 10 pick and Ubre. I need a, fir- a late first round pick. So you wouldn't do it for just a second rounder? I, I'd, I'd need the trade exception, a late first round, and an early second rounder. Now, if you just want Kelly Ubre Jr., we can give that to you and just ask for the number two pick and the uh, trade exception. 
<laughs> yeah, that sounds great. As long as you send us over some heroin to make me feel better. <laughs> I, I, um, I, so I think that what we've illustrated is that in the Uber trade, there's some possibilities. That, I mean, there, How about there, this? We're still negotiating. You don't want to do the late first round. What about we do this? We, I, we get the number two pick. We get two second round picks the $17.2 million trade exception, and then you get Kelly Uber Jr. and the number 10 pick. I, here's what I think. I think we should rename this podcast or at least this segment to Watching Sausage Be Made. We are going to too many details, but I, I think that, that what these parameters illustrate to me, and Mark, tell me if I'm right. When we're talking about Beal, really, there's, there's no possibility there. And on most of these big names, it's just it's not going to happen. There's not assets that either teams um, are interested in. But for Kelly Oubre, you know, there's, there's, you got to hammer out some details. There's going to be some logistics that need to be discussed. But there might be some, uh, some sunshine, some hope for this trade to get done. Oh, for sure. I mean, as long as you guys are willing to add that second round pick, I think we got to do it. <laughs> James, you are a relentless negotiator, and I respect it. Uh, take off your GM hat, Mark. We're getting to our last segment, and it's one I am fired up for. Brand new, man. It's called Mark's Murals, and it cashes in on our running joke. So, boys, you may remember, uh, when Mark first moved from the Bay to Los Angeles, LeBron quickly followed him, and then one of the things that got reported is that first LeBron murals started popping up over uh, all over L.A., and then those murals starting getting defaced kind of comically here or there, presumably by old school Laker fans who weren't ready to uh, move on to a new legacy. And we started joking that, of course, it was Mark who was defacing those LeBron murals. The reason I bring it up is because it turns out that the shoe is completely on the other foot, far from defacing any LeBron murals. Uh, Mark was just recently on Colin Cowherd's show and had this to say. This is Mark Medina. He covers the NBA for the USA Today. Former Warrior guy, former Laker guy, knows his stuff. Joining us now. If you had to vote today, who would you vote for and why? Um, I'd vote the same way you're voting, LeBron. I initially was leaning uh, toward Giannis because, look, he had better regular season numbers, but LeBron's numbers were still pretty good. He led the league in assists. And, you know, there's a lot of extra things uh, that I think LeBron should get credit for. He inherited a new coaching staff. There was a lot of role players that just joined the Lakers that may have looked good on paper, but there's always an element of unknown of, you know, how much role players can provide. And I think for the most part, guys have been the best versions of themselves. He's totally elevated Anthony Davis. And look, the Kobe Bryant tragedy has hit everyone around the NBA, but there's no question it obviously impacted uh, the Lakers the most because of what Kobe meant to the organization. And LeBron, you know, played a really uh, integral part in being able to galvanize the team together during those tough times. And, and I think as a result of that, he should be given credit for not only what he's done on the court, but all those intangibles I just outlined. Mark, I love you, but I do not agree with you on this, which is why I wanted to bring it up and I needed to hear the rationale. So let me give you why I don't agree and then eviscerate it for me, right? So here's the way I understand the MVP award. One, it's a regular season award given to the player who has the most important impact on their team. Uh, what Wikipedia says is the MVP is an annual NBA award since the 55-56 season to the best performing player of the regular season. But then two, 
I think it's a benchmark award. It's the kind of thing that changes a player's resume. It defines careers. And so because of that, there has to be objective parameters, things that players always know that the league or the people who vote on it are going to look at it so that they can work on those things and try to achieve this kind of objective goal, right? So if we take those two things to this year, let's look at the first one, regular season given to the player who is the most important to their team. Well, there's no question Giannis' stats were better. Um, you mentioned that in the, in the clip itself. And there's no question, at least in my mind, that he was the best player on his team. LeBron elevated AD, I agree with you, but AD is you know, a top five player in the league. So I think, I think we can argue that Giannis had by far the better regular season, but that's not really what I wanted to give you shit about. Here's what I wanted to give you crap about. It's the second point. If we view this thing as a benchmark award and there need to be objective factors that every player go after, we can't include things like fighting through Kobe's death. And here's why. If you do that for this award, then every time from here on out, you're going to have to round up all the MVP candidates. You're going to have to talk to them about what personal struggles they're going through in their life. Did they lose a brother? Did they lose a mom? Are they, is somebody going through cancer? I mean, anything. They would have to reveal the personal details of their life. And then we would have to evaluate how they went through that during the season to figure out whether or not they deserve the MVP, which is what we're doing with Kobe. I don't think that's fair. And I think if we take out that factor and we look only at the objective numbers of the MVP, it's got to be the alphabet, right? But that, that's my biased take. And I, I need your, your rebuttal. Why am I off? Yeah, well, here, here's some preambles first. Uh, you can't go wrong voting for either play, right? So the idea that Giannis got the MVP, props to him. He deserved sure. whatever praise he got, right? The idea of there needs to have a strict guidelines of how voters vote, I think that there should be some wiggle room where, and that's why you get diversity of opinion. Like, what do you, how are you basing this vote on? Now, what I will say is for any, any voters that do like the quote unquote narrative vote that comes into play, where like, you know, in the past, maybe a guy didn't get an MVP because they already got it the year before. And, you know, this fits a storyline like that's complete BS. But I think that you also should be allowed to take cer certain team circumstances and events into play where it's not just about numbers. It's about team dynamics. And I know that Bucks fans, I mean, they were, look, I'm not, I'm never going to be Kevin Durant ever like with social media like the stuff's not that serious but some of these buck fans were completely like offended hurling all these like hateful insults and it's just like dude like i'm not trivializing kobe's death at all like i would be the last one to do that because you know i was around the organization when that happened i just knew that it was a very unique thing with the Lakers. And that's not to say that like the NBA wasn't affected by it, but you have to look at it through, I'm not evaluating LeBron's grief versus Giannis. I'm looking at it through the lens of the Laker organization as an institution and as a team, there were a lot of things that made those extenuating circumstances that highlighted 
some of LeBron's leadership with galvanizing them through that. But it's not even just about Kobe's situation. It's also that that leadership helped them galvanize that team through different adversities that I outlined earlier. So, yes, in Giannis's case, his numbers are better with exception to assists. He's a better defender. He doesn't have the luxury of playing with another all-star like Anthony Davis. But what, where Giannis did have a different advantage compared to LeBron is he had more continuity with, for the most part, the same teammates, the same coaching staff. And what I was talking to you earlier about LeBron how it's easy to look at, hey, he had a proven coach. He has a proven all-star with Anthony Davis. These all could have been potential landmines because of that's ha- what happens in pro- professional sports where there's always there's often an adjustment period when you have a new staff, new teammates. There's new dynamics to sort out. And sometimes that's not a volatile thing, but sometimes it's still an adjustment. And because of LeBron's leadership, it, they didn't get through the season just on their talent alone. They got through the season because, for the most part, they were the best version of themselves, and that's directly tied to that. So that's – I think you should be allowed to reward leadership qualities because that affects the team. Now, the other thing I will add is I'm fully well aware, and I base my vote on it's, – it's a regular season award. It's not the playoffs, Right. But I think that there is something to be said, which has nothing to do with my vote anyway, but it illustrates my thought process that the way that the Lakers and LeBron led that team, they got, they got themselves ready to then make that jump into the postseason. And clearly Giannis did not do that with Milwaukee. And I'm not going to penalize his performances, but the way that they functioned as a team was a part reflection of how they were in the regular season. I, I, this is going to sound weird. I agree with you, but I also disagree. Let me explain. One of the reasons I like your work, man, one of the reasons I love having you on this show, why I think you're very good at what you do, is your ability to grasp the subjective plot lines. You can watch the game. You can see the personalities. You can, for example, see things like leadership skills and navigating people through problems and things like, you know, the, the issues that a mega superstar within the organization's death would cause. I think your read on that is spot on. The reason I disagree with you is I think you're blending subjective and objective. I think that something like the MVP when you're talking about using it to compare generations, because you know, that's what you do. You look at MVP seasons, there's gotta be objective measures. Let me give you a stupid example. If two people are, or two runners are in the Olympics and they're both running the 50 meters and one of them goes and there's no obstacles in their way at all. They make it from the front to the finish and they finish first. And the other guy, somebody from the stands falls in front of them and they've got to jump out of their way and they've got to negotiate um, a bunch of problems in their personal life. So they're distracted in their mind and they do all of that, but they come in second. Subjectively, I'm impressed. Man, they beat everybody else. They dealt with a whole bunch of other things and they were able to get over it. Objectively, Mark, they came in second. And I think if we look at this year, if you take out the subjective stuff, what you're left with is an objective season where the alphabet was the MVP. Yeah. And I mean, 
you know, to each their own. I respectfully think that when you're looking at awards, it is how do you blend in objective data and subjective analysis. And here's here's a different example that is different circumstances from Giannis, LeBron MVP, but it drives the point home because this is a Warriors podcast. But I, I remember my first year covering the Warriors. I did a a look into Clay Thompson and him not being on any of the defensive first or second team awards. And one of the things, you know, that I got from not just talking to people in the Warriors organization, but from, you know, analysts around the NBA and just scouts off the record as they felt that the reason why Clay wasn't getting on these defensive first teams is he didn't have sexy defensive stats. Like he hmm. wasn't a steals or a blocks guy. He was a, really good team defender and then the whole idea of hey sometimes he gets lost in the shuffle because he's playing with so many good all-stars and for me i would give clay the vote because i felt like you had to put in those team dynamics and intangibles into play and so that that philosophy itself has informed and influenced how i vote with regular season mvp and other awards you know if we're just gonna go on oh that's just nicely played that's just nicely played the numbers but i don't think in sports it's ever just about the numbers what am i supposed to argue against a white clay should have been on the first defensive team argument i mean that's just nicely positioned mark uh (laughs) (laughs) maxime marcus quick takes on this uh where do you stand um i'm i'm slightly swayed by what mark is bringing up here um i still don't think um, it ultimately allows you to um, take the subjective over the objective. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's a regular season award, and Giannis did have the better play throughout the regular season. But I, again, it's like it's really hard to say that now. Um, you know, and this is why these votes happen at the end of the regular season and not when you're at the end of the postseason because it's so clear that there are some intangibles to Giannis's game that are not um, leading to the type of experience that we need. Yeah, no, it, it's fair, and and I would stress that I, you know, for my vote itself, I didn't, I didn't even look at postseason. I didn't even look at the season restart because the NBA they gave strict guidelines that we want this vote to be everything before hmm. the season was suspended. Um, so yeah, and you know, I think I hope when I explain this, I'm sure Bucks fans won't care any anyway. But you know, the whole idea that you know, I'm, I'm clinging to these like cliched storylines or that like clutch sports is suddenly like arm twisting me. Like I can tell you on the, like <laughs> I've had zero conversations on or off the record with LeBron or Rich Paul or any of his management team and the Lakers for that matter of, Oh yeah. Like should LeBron get MVP when I get, um, when I get pitches from other teams, the Lakers never did a pitch of those things. But when I get pitches from other teams, if it's an email, I completely ignore it. And if I get a cold call, what I'll do is if I was already planning to vote for that person anyway, uh, I will say, yeah, I was already going to vote for that person. And if not, I was going to, I would say, yeah, I think otherwise. Like I, you know, that this whole idea, like it sounds fun 
and people had fun on Twitter, but this whole idea that like there's self-interest involved, like I get zero benefit from voting someone MVP or not. And it's, I'm not getting more or less access because of that either. So like all that stuff is complete BS. I hear you saying that you don't check, you don't read the emails and that's all good, but I'm wondering, do you take any signaling from murals? <laughs> oh, that is a good point. Only the ones he hasn't defaced. Let let me say this clearly and succinctly. Having worked with Mark for a few years now, I can speak to his integrity. Um, There's no question, jokes aside, there's absolutely no question. There's not some kind of pandering going on with those people. Um, I was just, I would want to add to it. I think hearing Mark's explanation of it, uh, I think is spot on. I think you have to have a balance of objective and subjective it's the same reason why in college football they have the eye test factoring in and it's you know like the balance of art and magic subjective objective into these things has to be there i think just the the question is how much of each is in there so as long as there's not you're not over rotating too much on what the subjective parts are but if we're dealing with grief management, that, that I don't feel like that. If you're talking about subjective, watching them score, what that means to their team, what they what they actually accomplish, that's one thing. But how how they literally deal with the death of someone, I'm not sure that. Well, well, I, I don't know that. But I, I mean, think, but it's different. Five. Like the sub the subjectivity is different, right? Like there's an argument that can be made that Jimmy Butler deserves some MVP consideration because he took a rookie and Tyler hero and forced him to join him for 4am workouts and probably got Tyler to a spot that he might not have been at had he joined a different organization. That's a subjective thing, right? Like he's forcing him and you hear that storyline now that they're in the finals and in the playoffs. But I don't think that that should be discounted. I don't think when you look at Jimmy Butler's numbers, you don't factor that in that he has brought his personality and his, kind of you know the intangibles into that team because he's extremely valuable if you take him off of that team they're not where they are and I think it's the same case that can be made for LeBron and and Giannis as well yeah and to clarify like I'm certainly not doing a category of grief management I'm looking at more of (laughs) the organization itself not LeBron's own personal situation but he played a part with galvanizing the organization I understand Um, But, yeah, I mean, the thing that was amusing slash disappointing was that I thought it would be good to do a column explaining all this stuff. And then Bucks fans or then fans that want to be like the smartest guys in the room, they screenshot like very selective excerpts (laughs) and then say that's the only reason I voted. And to be clear, like it got to the point and this isn't even just with that story, but in general, a lot of times I'll mute um, certain conversations because like, it's just a waste of energy. Of course. Yeah. But like this whole idea of like trying to act like an enlightened NBA fan and to then get on someone, which is fine. Like there's, that's you, there should be this public discourse, but to then cheapen your argument by then falling into dumb things like exerting one sentence over a thousand word story explain everything almost contradicts your own point of hey i'm this enlightened and informed nba fan well if you're doing that you're not so 
It was just an amusing uh, social experiment. There. You know, I can associate. We get so much hate mail. We have a segment entitled "You've Got Hate Mail." So don't you worry about that, man. Yeah, they. Uh, and most of the time, they're just pointing out how justifiably ignorant I am, and they're right. So you know, it is what it is. Uh, Mark, I really value you on this show. I really value your work off of it and outside of the occasional idiot who does a poor job exerting it. I know I'm not alone now. Um, so where can people turn to get more in their life? Hey, well, I appreciate the, uh, the kind words. This is how you guys debate, by the way, like having informed conversation, good back and forth. Um, you can follow me at Mark G underscore Medina on Twitter and then USA Today dot uh, coms where it's at. I would say in normal times, you usually find that paper at a hotel or an airport, but it's uh, it's been different times these days, but we always got it online. Well, the only thing I will add as a gift to you, one you already knew about, but I'll turn it into a pseudo commercial. Um, I've said it a hundred times. We appreciate you. Let me prove it, man. We want to give you a gift. So we finally got our together a little bit. Um, we've got t-shirts available. They're at tpublic, T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com. If you look up Warrior Huddle, Mark, check that site out. Pick a shirt and we will send it to you as a very small thank you for the time you've given us, man. You're the man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the swag and looking forward to it. Huge fun. We appreciate you guys. Certainly true every week. Absolutely true this week. Go Warriors. And hopefully we'll see you guys real soon. Good, good. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious 
extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.